this is Listeners, welcome to a special, far-out new episode of Warped Celluloid, a rather gross, bizarre, and definitely weird one. I'm your host, Jack Rourke, with my esteemed co-host, Chandler Williams. And today, we are welcoming back, or a good old friend of the show, he was here, I think, almost exactly a year ago today. Nay, it's, been, so. it's been at least that long. <laughs> Care to reintroduce yourself, dude? Hi there, I'm Omar Letson, so happy to be back. Talking about my favorite movie ever. This is gonna be fun. And Chandler, which movie would that be? Today we'll be talking about polyester. So Chandler, let's talk about our experience with this, because man, the night watching this for the podcast was interesting. Yes, it was. It was a uh, a nice I viewing. Gonna, I think we both got a kick out of it. And right, I, I spent half the time just looking at your reactions to it and the whole thing. Like, ah, oh, shit, this isn't gonna go over well, is it? No, no. It, it took me a while to get into it, but once I did, I I really thought it was funny. Um, yeah. And like she really vibed with it. I I also know what you mean. Like I sometimes like watch other people watch movies. Um, and like, to, like, you don't read know. Their you don't really know what's going through their heads. 
Yeah, yeah, it's, it's I don't know, it, it can say a lot about the person, um, if you're familiar with the movie, I think. But, I mean, uh, I yeah, it was, it was a good, good time. And that anything outside of Hairspray that really catches on with the mainstream crowd in terms of John Waters. And honestly, that's perfectly fine. But I mean, more for us, I guess. Hell yeah. Okay. I'm so fucking happy this is in the Criterion Collection now. I think that's hilarious that it is. And they even include the Yodorama cards, too, from the original re- re- from the original release, which is fucking hilarious. I think it would have been... Go ahead, sorry. Oh, that's all I wanted to say is Criterion be coming through. Love it. Yeah, sponsored by Criterion. Um, sponsored by Criterion. No, but I, I think... We, we watched it on Amazon, um, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I rented it off of Amazon, and the weird thing is they didn't show the end credits. They yeah, right? they, I, I thought it would have been helpful if they showed, like, the numbers um, for the synths, um, because, like, I, I felt like they were, um, you know, insinuating a uh, certain synth um, every so often, but I, I don't know, I felt like, I felt like it would have been helped. Uh, excuse me, I felt like it would have helped. I feel like that was only included on certain prints that actually had the Odorama card, and and I'm like, if you're having it on streaming, why bother if, like, less than 10% of the people watching this are actually gonna have it? But I mean, like, the shot lengths and, um, durations were... And, like, what was happening like, on screen, uh, kind Yeah, of like, it, it was all, it was all in consideration, um, to the synths. Um, so, I don't know, I feel like I would have just appreciated it just a little bit if um, they would have included that. That, but uh, yeah. Well, I, like I, yeah. I, pirated, oh, I pirated the movie, so I got to see all the numbers, and I just used my imagination, you know. Yeah. You know what? That's better <laughs> off considering you let John Waters make a smell card or in a card with different scents. If you actually go through with that, God help you. Well, it's that very thing interesting. Foul. It's very interesting because um, I at first thought that he was the one that came up with the idea of Odorama, but it was actually from a movie back in the '60s. And Sense of Mystery, I believe it was called, right? Exactly. Yeah, Sense of Mystery. And since a lot of people um, got the idea from polyester, and they took over, you know, the same idea, and they used the name Odorama, and Waters was so upset because he was like, "Bro, I came up with that. What are you guys doing?" Eh, or an inspiration begets inspiration and whatnot, and honestly, that doesn't shock me at all considering, one, John Waters' really eclectic range of influences, or in, like, that, or in, again, the rest of the movie is also a big 50s homage, so that just kind of fits. Like, the whole thing is basically just, like, a bit, or in, like, a twisted Zucker Brothers parody of, like, those old Lana Turner, Douglas Sir, or Rod Hudson movies, like, Imitation of Life, Magnificent Obsession, like, those... Those really lofty romances of oh, the struggles of the everyday housewife. <laughs> I can't imagine those movies have much of a shelf life anymore. Yeah, I, I don't mean, think so. Not without a lot of weed. <laughs> mm-hmm. I really yeah. like what John Waters does. Um, because, you know, John Waters is the king of filth. He was the pioneer of the transgressive cinema movement, you know, the movement of movies underground you know that you couldn't really get anywhere else and this was his first like critically acclaimed film and i already did 
having all of that chaotic narrative told within the gaze of a nuclear family. I think it just makes it even funnier, yep. even though it's, you know, a common trope. I just think it's really funny how he did it. And I just like, again, how heightened everything is. Just how specifically awful everyone is. Like, the teenage son who looks like a what if Johnny Knoxville spent his entire teenage years strung out on heroin, on black tar heroin the whole time. Just, like, stomping so my face. <laughs> yeah, like, the daughter is just so funny. Just, um, she's so over the top. <laughs> and the dad just... The way he, that little or that weird filthy movie theater he runs, yeah, Which, everything's just so over the over the top in the best way possible. That uh, and God, honestly, great. I think I knew I was in for a, in a wild ride the second I saw like the posters in the background of his office. Oh yeah, or like just so much many references and yeah, it also let me or an educate Chandler in a very. Uh, disreputable uh background back catalog of a uh, film history bear in mind it wasn't just porn that was shown at these theaters most of these were like grindhouse theaters in their time and uh among other subgenres were nazi exploitation films yes those are real and none of them are good wait are you gonna talk about the plot yeah yeah but at some point Wait, hey, how do we know about, 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 about And porn. actually, sum it up for us, Omar, please. Oh, you got me? I'm not the host. Okay, well, I mean... <laughs> you know, I mean, you're our guest here. I'm like, I was gonna say... Well, the film pretty much starts off with Francine, who is this um housewife of this very disgruntled family, and her uh, husband has this theater where he's selling, uh, where he's showing these films and the film opens up with them having a protest outside of the house and it's like you know anti-porn anti-rape anti this like the whole entire neighborhood's like completely bashing this one family like we only want g-rated films shown here yeah i think the thing chandler pointed out while we were watching is there's a I mean, like the movie is very filthy and disgusting i mean how, or what would you expect anything less? Or, but it also has a very sophisticated streak to it. Well, like, yeah. yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, um, I was just saying that it's very dense. Like there, it's densely packed with details and um, like really intentional uh, detailed jokes. That uh, I mean, like I'm sure I didn't catch all of them uh, on my first viewing, but uh, it made me want to rewatch it. Um, in the same sense of like Airplane, you know, just. Joke after joke after joke um, on I different levels. I wrote in my notes, of, this plays like um, a Zucker Brothers movie for sickos. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't know. It, just, it had a very specific vibe overall, the film. Um, yeah. I could like, you know, Honestly, see it being shown at like a party or a house party in the background. or. Yeah, you know. oh god, this would play so well with a crowd. Yeah. It goes <laughs> with the right into crowd, that, though. Yeah, it goes into that um, like letterbox list, like um, house party films or whatever, but uh, yeah. Uh, sorry, what were we, what were we gonna say, Omar? Oh, I was just gonna say that I liked the dialogue it had about censorship, just because John Waters always did things that were very uh, out of the open. Like a lot of the stuff would not get played in like a movie theater or whatever. Like, do you know that um director uh Greg Akiri? Do you guys know that guy? Can't I'm say not. I'm familiar now. Okay, well, he's this new director, and he said that John Waters was punk before uh, the Sex Pistols and more indie before Sundance. 
because he had a foothold in both of those um, subgenres of entertainment before they were even really a thing. Like he was showing these very transgressive movies before that could even be thought of. And I like the way he talked about uh, the censorship within the first couple minutes of the movie. Yeah, yeah. There's so many like and, uh, hidden commentaries within the film um, yep. about like the well, and some not so hidden, like uh, all, yeah, the talk, yeah. all the shockingly frank talk about abortion throughout of all that that kind of disappears from that the from the movie at one point. Which wow, that must have been like a shock to the cinema back in the day. Like surprisingly self-aware um, and sophisticated piece, and in, in general. And yet, I think the thing that goes through it is it's goofy, and I think the reason this is what broke Waters into the mainstream is because it's dialed back just enough and played at such a specific tone, where that honestly, as long as you're willing to have a laugh at it, at it you can just go right ahead with. Where exactly. I like the like the earlier movies, like Multiple Maniacs, and or in, what was the one you had before that? Mondo Trash Out. That was the one in Pink. Oh yeah, and Mondo Trash Honestly, there's parts of that or in those that feel like snuff films. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, the end of Mondo Trasho, where there's the huge lobster just on top of Divine. <laughs> yeah, like, in the movie. And then, like, Pink Flamingo, you know, um, they Pink say Flamingo. that Hairspray was, Pink, uh, Hairspray was John Waters' most successful film, but his most iconic was Pink Flamingos. And within the first five minutes of that movie, um, I mean, a girl's literally getting raped by a chicken. It's like, I don't even want to watch that with my friends. I skipped part of that movie, like, all the time. But he always took it so, so far. It's a movie that I honestly... Di- I mean, there, like, there's some movies I don't rate because I haven't seen them in a while on Letterboxd. And there's others I don't rate because I just, you know, conflict of interest, like maybe a friend made it. And then there are some I don't rate because I don't know how to rate them. How in any of or in measure... Do you possibly like put this into numbers or reason? Such is the case with Pink Flamingos. It is a cinematic endurance test, and I kind of admire it. <laughs> In a very- well, yeah, that's what it was made for, you know? Like, John Waters always said that his version of a standing ovation was someone vomiting in the theater, and that happened all the time, to the point where they had to put, like, salt at the bottom of the thing just because everybody was vomiting at his movies. God, imagine how much worse it would have been with Odorama, which, if I thought this spelled bad, oh. If this was, like, merely, like, a high school gym locker room, I imagine, or I imagine uh, Pink Flamingos would smell like like a trailer park bathroom with, like, corpses and stuff like that, dead squirrels, like, just the war, like. It sounds great. this movie is this movie or in polyester and I, mean, I mean it's basically the embodiment of that one photo of john waters and david lynch standing in front of the big boy statue oh, like yeah. when they were really really young mm-hmm. by the way i was oh. watching uh as research for the show i looked up a documentary on youtube called divine trash which if you haven't seen it check it out it actually is pretty informative it will give you a general sense of what this guy was like acumen and taste wise I mean, but uh one of the things that uh, pointed out to me was man the dude looks weird with long hair because I'm, because I'm just used to, or so used to seeing him older now, or like the, wearing the short, wearing the white hair, and like the, the very oh, like hair, thin hair. mustache. Yeah, like dude has yeah, a straight up mullet. I mean, going back to David Lynch, uh, that's like the the idea that 
uh, John Waters and David Lynch are on the same spectrum. That has stuck with me um, ever since we watched this film a few days ago. Um, and I think that's just awesome and so cool that like I've um, you know been introduced to like the anti Lynch, but uh, still Lynchian like surrealism instead of surreal horror, surreal comedy. I'd say, I'd say they both are two faces of the same coin, but they just they take the same general idea in a couple work, works, not everything. Thing and just like go in completely different direction. Like I think. God, this is going to sound pretentious and basic as hell. At the same time, I don't know how that works, but just go with me on this. This would make a really fascinating double feature of Blue Velvet. Just to see how two different filmmakers, like, take take the 50s with its mask off. One does it for, like, a very, what feels like a very personal experience in a very raw, harrowing way. And the other just goes full, like, absurdist cartoon with it. Yeah, that that was a note that uh, you and I both made and uh, discussed while we were watching it. Um... I, I could totally see that, and I very much agree with it. Um, it's funny. Yeah, that, just, like, uh, taking the 50s, the mask off the 50s, um, or, like, surrealizing the 50s. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Or, or just heightening it to an extent where it just becomes its enti- entirely new art form. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny, uh, first time we had Omar on the show, we spent a good chunk of a uh, movie about I mean, David Lynch talking about John Waters, and now we're talking about a, full, or a chunk of John, uh, John Waters' movie talking about David Lynch. Everything's come full circle. <laughs> it absolutely has. Oh, God. It's funny you mentioned Divine, because honestly, she's one of the best things in this whole movie. And honestly, probably my favorite performance of hers, theirs. I don't, I don't know what or in the, their pronouns are. Or in were, I guess, or in, guess, and she, or in they passed on. Um, but either way, Divine is amazing in this, and God, the, or in their line deliveries... It's just the best. It, like every every word out of her mouth, right? Mouth. It just kills me. Like I almost fell over laughing while we were watching it. I mean, it's swinging for the fences, crazy. And it's crazy because, like, you can, if you're aware of John Waters' material, you can see how much Divine is like really holding back from going like full ape, like she usually does. Like she's really trying to give you that docile housewife vibe. But still, she feels like she's eating the scenery, and I'm not just referring to her weight. Oh, wow. Oh, she's like always on the verge of tears. I think it's so funny. It's um, like those, it's not, not just like the imitation life and like Douglas Surf, Surf stuff, but also like those terrible 60s romance comics. Right, well, the ones with the, like, that always have like a crying teenage girl on the cover, like, we're never together again. Yeah, no, I. I I would agree with you, Jack. Divine's performance was definitely my favorite of the film, and like yep. the most uh, attention-grabbing in every sense of the of the term. Um, and I thought it was like fascinating, like I, fasc- just a fascinating idea. It was like a a man playing a woman playing a a different kind of woman. Man, yeah, playing a woman playing well, a man. I'll agree. Yeah. Yeah. It is a step down from. Or in Painful Mangoes, in the sense that it's she's not going on rants about like advocating cannibalism. It's a it's a different kind of over the top, and that's the best. Yeah, I have not seen Pink Flamingos, but fr- from the clips of it that I have seen, um, it seems just like a shit post. Yeah, it's in, like the best way. It's an endurance test, is the best way I get. Is where I'm like, how adventurous are you with this kind of stuff? Like, how much are you willing to sit through? Does it have a narrative? Kind of, yeah. It's very loose, though. 
It's basically right of right of like a weird predecessor to like those snobs versus slobs comedies of the eighties. Although both both of which are basically just slobs, just different cut. Co- okay. Okay. If nothing else, you will never see another movie where a guy with a suit, black button down, with long, like, blue-greenish tinted hair, and a Serpico mustache. Choices were made on the fashion front, all of which I respect, even if I dare not actually imitate them. What I like about a lot of John Waters' early work is the fact that he always has his friends in almost all of his movies. Like, you see uh, Edith, Divine, uh, Mink Stoll, a lot of these actors who are in Polyester, also in Pink Flamingos, and a lot of other films that he's done. And they still show up in stuff like Hairspray and Serial Mom and Crybaby. Like, he kept working with them pretty much throughout his entire career. Edith was one of my favorite parts of this movie. Um, uh, Oh, God, she's hilarious. I love how every time she's in a movie, you see all this uh, this chaos and this um, kind of bawdry uh, subject matter within his work. And then you see Edith, who is absolute uh, uh, honesty and innocence, you know, doesn't what? really know what's like, going on. She's just minding her own business. Like, imagine, like, just how different it would be if she, it was, like, from her perspective. It's just pure <laughs> wholesome material right there. I love it. Yep. It's the best. I remember, speaking of, like, connections to, like, punk and whatnot, like, I think, Randy, the, there's an often repeated quote about the Velvet Underground, like, not everyone bought those records, but everyone heard their music, yeah. and I've heard a lot of people relate that to John Waters, and while I definitely agree with that, right, having seen this and definitely going back through the early stuff, the band I'm most reminded of by John Waters is the Stooges, especially their live stuff, the way, the way Iggy Pop would, like, sometimes he would just show up on stage, like, mutilating himself or, like, performing naked. You know, like, jumping into the crowd, running around, and, like, having people throw glass bottles at his head. It's that kind of spontaneous, right? I'm going to do anything for my OER just for the hell of it. That it is, it's kind of fascinating. Well, yeah, that's the scene that they all hung around. Like, that was their scene, you know? And Divine went on to do so many different stage productions and stuff where it was that kind of, like, in-your-face thing, you know? I get that, and speaking of highbrow references, I did not expect a reference to Kyer to Cinema during the drive-in scene, which, man, that is just anachronism within anachronism within anachronism, just in one scene. Didn't catch that. Like, like everything, like, it's this, like, nice, high-end, like, gala-type thing at a drive-in. Yeah. Uh, It it made me want to look into that magazine, because it seems like... It yeah, is right one of the alley. most important range of works of film criticism ever public, published. If you can find or find some of the old issues, try and go give it a read. I'm pretty sure I mean, PDFs aren't hard to find. Mm. I will type in the name in the Discord chat whenever we're done recording, because I cannot remember the, ne- the per- correct way to pronounce it at the moment. Did any- anyone catch the visual motif of uh, mirrors? I did not actually. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, I'm man. trying to think what's yeah. a maybe like self-reflection. Yeah, I felt like there was a mirror in like at least every other scene. Which is yeah, a, it, 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 a self-reflection on the viewer, maybe. I like, think it's this uh, is um, you. You chose to watch this tonight, and you only have yourself to blame. I think yeah. it also um, it also affects on the whole vanity thing. Like, I think it's very reminiscent to Valley of the Dolls. Like, you see that mirror, and it's very much a vanity thing. 
it opens up with um, uh, Francine looking at herself in the mirror. What was her name? Francine? What was her name? Francine Fishpaw. Okay, cool. I got that one. But yeah, I think it's more of a, a motif on vanity. Yep. But who knows? Yep, and speaking of re- cinematic references, uh, we should get to probably the closest thing this movie has to like a, a big-name actor, would be, which would be uh, Todd Tomorrow himself, Tab Hunter, who... We keep bringing up like the rock hunts and like the fifties romance thing. This guy was actually in those movie movies, and Matt having him on there to literally take the piss out of those characters is really something. And especially because before this kind kind of wink wink nudge nudge, hey, I'm a we're in a guy who used to be an old B movie we're in movies acting in a tribute to B movies became kind of a commonplace thing. Yeah, it's pretty crazy they got him on the on the movie. Like that's pretty wild that John Waters uh copped that. Bill Murray yeah. uh is technically credited. Yeah, yeah, he does he does a song for the for, for later in the movie which I did not I expected that just to be a weird thing with the Amazon subtitles like no, that's real. He actually did do a song for this and Same actually among my research I can't remember the name of of it, but it plays like I think the the hour ten minute mark. I'll have to look. And all I remember is that among my research, I found out that apparently he had a feud with John Waters, and that only got settled like a few years ago. Like they really, the best thing. That's the name of the song. What's the name? I felt like uh, this film and John Waters in general. Uh, it's like a you know. A solid predecessor for people like Filthy Frank, you know, um, oh, just God, like really yeah. and Adult Swim dank. and Tom Green and Jack. Yeah, good God, just like modern John dank Waters, comedy. John Waters is in Jackass Number Two. I think that alone should or should say it. <laughs> you know? It's also weird to think or that a guy who started out with as bizarre and bizarre and just alienating as his, this material got is now doing, like, late-night re- interviews with people like David Letterman and, like, Stephen Colbert. Oh, yeah. True. Man. His little Netflix show and everything, yeah. I, mean, I honestly want to go back and watch that Letterman interview with him and mine. That, that must have been something. Well, David Letterman looked so uncomfortable the entire time. Like, he was openly uncomfortable. Which one was more uncomfortable, do you think? That or the interview with or in a, a Harvey Picar, the guy who created American Splendor? Uh, like, probably um, this, but I don't yeah, know. Maybe I, I just have it on the brain because I watched American Splendor a few weeks ago. Making the most of the HBO Max subscription and whatnot. Anyway, it's funny, and speaking of Criterion in this movie, not only is this not the only film with Criterion collection that John Waters I just remember that he the Multiple Maniacs was a disc on there. And that one of the early titles they put out during the Laserdisc era was Pink Flamingos. Oh, yeah. God, I want to track down that Laserdisc just to see what kind of weird... I wonder if it has some of those audience reactions that were, that were uh, coming out of it. Because I remember that, right, there was... I can't remember if it was shot an 8mm or 16 but right, there were people who they were seeing it for the first time. And they were just like... They were all like disgusted or like beyond words and comprehension. There was I one think that's all we're talking about. And honestly, I think the smartest dude in that audience was a guy who went up to the phone and said, I think John Waters has his finger firmly on America's pulse. I think he has it firmly up America's ass. Wow. What a delightfully crass observation. 
I like John Waters' mustache. I love how he never changed it. It's just like a really small little pencil mustache. God, how do you keep that up? Like, how do you shave it to look like that's that? That That's the thing. Like, how do you grow? Well, just, I, I just can't wrap my mind, like, how you grow and, like, trim and, like, keep it proper. It's a, it's a thing of beauty in its own strange way. He's got that Baltimore persistence right there. I'm convinced that it's just, like, drawn on. Like mascara or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it would fit. By the way, all right, if you haven't seen Sean Waters' Criterion Closet video, do yourselves a favor and go watch it. It's the best. Yeah, it was pretty funny. And funny enough, he actually brings up Val- or in v- Valley of the Doll. Wait, no, no, no. It was beyond the Valley of the Dolls that he brought up in there. He talks about David Lynch. <laughs> and it being the best thing Roger Ebert ever wrote. <laughs> all right. And speaking of weird things with this movie, do, you, do y'all catch who did the soundtrack for this? It wasn't Debbie Harry. Yeah, it was Debbie Harry and Chris Stein from Blondie, which threw me through a loop. Like, wait, what? Yeah, they did I'm... the first song that Tab Hunter sang. Polly at Francine. That one. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, once I actually like got into the movie, like, yeah, that makes sense, because it did kind of have that we're in sort of late seventies, E to the beat, we're gonna be parallel lines vibe to it, where you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, this makes sense as a Blondie album. Yeah, this. And considering how Debbie Harry was literally in Videodrome like two years later, yeah, th- this just ticks every box. I mean, it's just an immaculate movie altogether. It's weird to think of things to sum up because John Waters is one of those. Again, you have to see it to believe it. There is nothing uh-huh. I could possibly say. That could make truly encapsulate some of the insane things he was able to pull off in a film. And speaking of insane things, did y'all catch the price of the pizza when uh, or in Francine's husband then keeps earning her earning his uh, mistress lover, whatever you want to call, or is just like playing this like the most horrible pranks on her? Not uh, before you told it to me and explained. Fourteen dollars and eighty-eight cents. How the fuck did he get that past the MPAA and, like, censorship boards? For anyone who doesn't know and, or is lucky enough to not know, 1488 is a Nazi, or, like, code word. It's, uh, it's not pleasant. Oh, wow, I didn't even catch that. Mm. Yeah, I was like, like, the second I heard I was like, wait, what? It just, like, completely caught me off guard. In a movie that just routinely, like, on a moment-by-moment basis, catches you off guard and makes you go, wait, what? What the hell? Yeah, the one, one, one example of that for me was, like, um, there was gen- genuinely, like, a, you know, a good little shot of gore um, that, like, I don't know, it, it, it didn't feel like there was a joke surrounding it, but that Is made it a, bit it where a joke, right, where, uh, you know? Tomorrow shows up, where, like, the ambulance and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, we, like, we had to go back and, like, pause it. Like, I think there was a severed head in the background. Yeah, yeah. Prior to that, there's just, like, a car, like, a you know, a car accident. And, uh, I don't know. I, I, I was taken is... by surprise, like, how it didn't play off as a, as a joke in the beginning of it. And then, yes, the, there was a severed head. But, and um... then the violence at the end where people get hit by car... Or they go from, like, leaving bloodstains on the windshield to, like, not having a single scratch when they're actually laying on the concrete. <laughs> yeah. The one time a continuity error actually works as a joke. 
I was gonna say, like, I actually have to wonder if that was intentional or not. <laughs> Man. I wonder. But, what else? What else? <laughs> oh, yeah. The most dignified I've ever seen a drive-in lo theater look in film, which, seriously, though, they really gussy this place up. And that was, like, the joke of it, which I thought was, yeah, you know, really funny. Oh, uh, yes. Let's premiere at the town drive-in. The place where they only show, like, really hardcore exploitation films and movies from the 50s. But people are, like, wearing suits. God, the suit that, that Tab Hunter is wearing, I want that suit. I want it so bad. Where, like, the frilled, or in, like, button down, ran down, like, that big-ass bow tie and, like, the lapels, or in that seem like, go, or in, like, from the, in each corner of the room. It's, man, they don't make suits like they used to. That's some shock fashion right there. Totally, man. Jack, I could totally see you rocking one of those. Now all I can think of is just the bit in Dumb and Dumber where Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels are wearing those. Oh, uh, we like, did not... No, that's the bus scene. scene. The bus scene when um uh when Lulu's boyfriend is over there uh hitting people with the brooms, and then Miss Church Lady said uh uh and completely destroyed him on that bus. I was gonna say the movie does do a pretty good job of the these things, but whatever, every time like the teenagers show show like oh yeah this is definitely nineteen seventy nine. Yeah. This... I think honestly. Really, the only thing that I yelled let's talk about is not only was this a big step forward in John Waters or in filmography, it was also a big move forward in the history of New Line Cinema, considering what I mean, yeah, nowadays we all know him for big blockbusters like Shazam and the Lord of the Rings movies and whatnot, but, but in the early fun. days, they put out some weird, weird shit. Or like, and almost, almost to the point of bankruptcy if, it, if Wes Craven hadn't made, hadn't made Nightmare on Elm Street for them, which for the longest time, their nickname was the house that Freddy built. But I also think Sean Waters should be held in that conversation because uh, this was a gamble. Thankfully, one that paid off. <laughs> Huge gamble. And if I may, uh, one last thing before we go. Or before we go here, uh, if you can check out the Red Letter Me on or in video on Pink Flamingos. That also makes a good primer if you are an or in a, a newbie to Waters. Just don't go I into anybody's blind. Yeah, for me, because uh, this was the first and only John film that I have seen, um, and like the his Criterion Closet Pick video, uh, I feel like that was enough to like really prime me for this. And uh, just seeing a few clips from Pink Flamingos and um, I don't know your kind of explanation, but uh, yeah, I do want to check out more of his stuff. Yeah, definitely try some psychedelics beforehand. That's the true experience. <laughs> I love the story he had about like watching eight and a half. With we're like, you know, we used to we're do acid and watch Fellini movies in Dragon. Which sounds yeah. kind of awesome, an, uh, an awesome combo. An interesting combo, that's for sure. Yeah. Anyway, anything you want to plug, Omar? Thanks for showing up, man. This is fun. Absolutely, it's my favorite movie ever. Um, you can catch my Instagram at Omar underscore not underscore John. Um, go to my website at one word John Miles Letson dot dot com slash website. And then also check out TV underscore T dot com where you can find articles that I post through my internship. Nice, man. Nice. Because last time we didn't have anything to plug, so I had to come through with some stuff.
Nice. Well, uh, I mean, I'll check those well, out. Now you are. Funny how things shake up like a year later. Anyway, thanks yeah. for listening, everyone. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow us at just at Work Celluloid. If you want to see what we're in past episodes, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, wherever, wherever where you get your podcast. Chandler and I are in Letterboxd, just for our respective names. And yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. Stay groovy. Bye-bye. Peace.